any uh, strange encounters with wildlife or anything crazy <laughs> that's that you've experienced uh, going to to do maintenance on these stations? Oh man! Oh, how much time do you have? Tonight's episode of the Carolina Weather Group is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. If you're looking for an easy way to eat well and save money this year and come back on expensive takeout and delivery, then HelloFresh is for you. Did you know that it is 25% cheaper to order HelloFresh rather than ordering takeout? You will love how fast, easy, and affordable it is to whip up a restaurant-quality meal right in your own kitchen. The ingredients are delivered from farm to table in less than seven days, and the meals prepare in less than 15 minutes. To try HelloFresh, just click the link below for a special limited-time discount and free shipping. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to watching us here at the Carolina Weather Group. We hope you're having a great evening out there. We're excited to have Sean Hoiser on. He is uh, with the North Carolina Climatologist Office and specifically talks about or works with the uh, North Carolina EcoNet, which is a pretty fantastic program uh, that the folks in North Carolina are running and one that you may or may not have heard of. So hopefully after tonight's conversation, we can shed a little bit more light on that and how you all can uh, watch this program and, and really see what's going on in your backyard. So uh, Sean is also, which this is one of our favorite things, co-coordinator of the North Carolina Kokoros. And we know March Madness is coming up soon and you're always looking for new Kokoros observers. So we'll let you plug that too at the end of the show, <laughs> Sean. So you can get a head up, heads up on, on everybody else, <clears throat> Frank. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but we appreciate you joining us tonight. Uh, before we kind of get into the conversation, um, tell us a little bit about you. How did you get involved in, in, in climatology, the climatology office and uh, just kind of a little bit of background about you? Yeah, sure. So uh, thanks for having me on, by the way. Uh, this is exciting. Uh, I've listened to your podcast plenty of times. Love it. So um, <clears throat> so my background is I have a bachelor's of science in meteorology from UNC Asheville. Got it in 2005 and then went no to grad school. Yes, go Bulldogs. Yeah. Hell Bulldog too, by the way. Yes. Um, I went to grad, I, then I went to grad school at NC State. I mean, I'm, I'm a North Carolina native. I was born and raised in Raleigh. So uh, it's, I'm, I'm a rare breed uh, at my age to be, to be in this area, but went to grad school at NC State, got my master's in 2010. And while I was in grad school, uh, the North Con the director of the state climate office in North Carolina at the time, uh, Ryan Boyles, was looking for some help. Um, I did a couple of projects with them when I was in grad school, just a little side projects, not a big deal. And then uh, an opportunity came around to be a field technician for the North Carolina Econet. And that's how I kind of got into that realm. And uh, I've been there, I got hired in 2008. And so I've been there ever since. And now, now I manage the whole network and make sure that everything's up and running as, as, uh, as intended, I think is the right word. <laughs> so. Yeah, make sure everything's functioning right. All the buttons are working and things like yeah. that. <laughs> uh, we've had Kathy on before, but for those who may be new to the program uh, or new listeners, uh, kind of talk to us about what the climate office in there in Raleigh. What are you guys have your hands in? What what all is like? Uh, what's a day in, in the life of Sean? I mean, what, oh, what is geez. going on in that climate office? Yeah, so. The climate office has kind of gone through, uh, ever since Kathy came on, I went through a little bit of an evolution and we do a lot of 
applied climate. So we don't forecast, we don't do, you know, we're not going to be the ones who are, you know, being, you know, doing the weather forecast. I always kept telling people if I was good at forecasting, I'd be working somewhere else. Um, so uh, we do a lot more of taking historical data and even current data and creating products that are designed for end users, specific end users. Uh, I mainly deal in the agricultural sector. Um, our network, the Econet was primarily an ag network to begin with. Um, but we've done a lot of work in other, there are other uh, employees in our office that do work with fire weather. They do, there's a, a whole host of people who do a lot of work with education and extension. Uh, we have a very robust education program in our office. Um, you know, Kathy kind of oversees all of that stuff in our office. I'm kind of with the, with the network itself. That's really what I do. So um, I spend most of my days either getting my technicians to go to the right spots to, to fix or do routine maintenance on stations, or I'm doing quality control in the data. Like I'm looking at data all the time um, or, you know, building products on our website that better, better help the uh, end users, citizens, North Carolina, or anybody uses our data, uh, get that information out in a, in a timely manner and in a way that they can kind of disseminate and, and use hopefully correctly. And it's, it's pretty important to have that, that data. Um, it's no big secret. North Carolina is a very dynamic climate, a very dynamic uh, weather field where, you know, we could be uh, sucked in in clouds and temperatures in the 20s and the mountains, and it could be in the 70s at the coast. So um, a little bit of everything here in the Carolinas and a lot of those areas, especially in the mountains where we see a lot of rainfall, uh, we don't have a lot of weather stations up there to really measure the amount of rain mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And that's kind of like where you guys are, are bridging that gap. Am, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, I think that'd be a good way of saying it. Um, you know, we're not the only ones who are bridging that gap, but we definitely have stations and locations that I don't think you would see uh, an ASOS or an AWOS station because there's not a lot of airports in the Western part of the state. It's or at least big airports. Um, you know, our station, our network, of course, being, designed originally for agriculture. Uh, a lot of research farms in the western part of the state, we kind of filled in some of those gaps. Uh, a lot of high elevation sites where Division of Air Quality at the time, now the D Division of Environmental Quality of North Carolina, they they want that data for ozone monitoring. So, you know, we're able to put a lot of stations on the high elevation sites and and getting that precip data into just a contrast in precipitation in the western part of the state. We've done a really good job of kind of being able to hit those those pockets uh, of high precipitation. Um, I think the, the, the record rainfall, uh, annual rainfall at Mount Mitchell in 20, I think it was 2018. Um, you know, one of our stations was used to help validate that, that data. So, uh, being able to have those stations and those locations really helps, especially when you have cold frontal passages or any kind of like mesoscale thing that the mountains are going to play a role. Our stations are there to at least kind of monitor what's going on. And we know um, some high wind events, especially in the mountains. And um, I know you and uh, our panelist, Evan Fisher, have done a lot of work, uh, especially in the mountains and yeah. trying to get some sampling of, of data there. So let's talk about the program itself. How can people access it and kind of just go through, you know, the, the basics of what they all can see there? The Econet itself has its own website. It's uh, Econet, E-C-O-N-E-T dot climate dot N-C-S-U dot E-D-U. And so if you jump on that page you'll see our station map we have a few uh featured parameters that you can look at current current conditions you can also you know go to each one of those stations has their own page we have 44 station or 43 stations sorry 43 full 10 meter towers uh, across the state of north carolina all the way from 
Nags Head, North Carolina on the Outer Banks to Franklin, North Carolina, uh, or west of Franklin, North Carolina, uh, in the western part of the state, even in even at Sassafras Mountain in South Carolina, which uh, is one of my favorite stations to go visit because the views are incredible. So, um, you know, all that data is available. It's free data. It's open data. So you can grab whatever you want. Um, you can do it from the Econet site, but there are some links that will point you to our climate office site that you can go and search whatever historical data you would like and download that data uh, and use it um, for your benefit. Um, yeah, we do also have some products on that page that are pretty value added. Uh, one of the big ones I've been working on is web bulb globe temperature, which I've talked about a lot last few weeks, even though it's been really cold, but um, it's, a, it's a product that's I think gonna get a lot of work, a lot of use this coming summer. Hopefully if we get some hot days, we can see how it really works. Um, but we are trying to create more products. Uh, there's a whole tab for that. There's each one of our station pages. You can see pictures from the station. So you can see what it looks like around the station. You can see what kind of sensors we're using um, and even some record uh, values from those stations in terms of temperature and precipitation on, on monthly and annual timescales. While you're talking about that, I have it pulled up here and just some mm -hmm. for some of our listeners who are listening um, that may not see the visuals when we post the map mm -hmm. and stuff, but they have uh, you guys have stations on Grandfather Mountain, uh, Mount Mitchell, UNCA, uh, like you said, out in Nags Head. I mean, you have really got the area or, or the state of North Carolina covered. You know, you've got a station in Taylorsville, you know, for the Piedmont, the foothills. Yeah, um, that was so, the first station I put in. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, I was working. So. Yeah, and, it's go ahead. Then, I'm sorry. Uh, you're fine. And then Frank, as you're, you know, you you do your work in South Carolina, you guys kind of use both the Sassafras Mountain uh, site as well. So, I mean, you've got almost every, I mean, you do have every corner of the state covered. Yeah, exactly. The uh, NC EcoNet administers uh, our station, South uh, South Carolina State Climate Office's station at at Sassafras Mountain. It's uh, it's uh, literally about fifteen feet inside of South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we joke every time when we take a staff there. Like, so I usually drive the vehicle up there. So when I get out of the truck, I'm in South Carolina. They get out of the truck. They're in North Carolina. And when they walk around, <laughs> right. they get into South Carolina. So yeah, it's that one was kind of funny because. I guess the backstory on that is when we were looking to put it up there, like basically we had to pick a site in South Carolina. Like we found a really good spot up there. I, I think we were going to put it there in uh, Hope Mazel, who's the uh, state climatologist of South Carolina. It was like, my boss. Yeah. She was like, no, 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 no. That's in North Carolina. It's got to be in South Carolina. So that, um, it, it's, it's great. though. It's a great site. Um, for, for those who travel that area, it's a, it's a lovely drive up there. So yeah, sure um, it is. It, it's it's great it's providing great data so that that's kind of the beauty of this network is we do fill a lot of gaps that you know the the larger federal networks you know they're designed for aviation so we're picking spots where there's not a lot of airports so um and ours is especially our stuff with high elevation you mentioned grandfather uh you know mount mitchell of course it's nice having nice to say we have a station at the highest point east of the mississippi um but even in these like foothill areas like Taylorsville, um, like I said, it was the first, it was one of the first sites I ever put in, uh, South, the Salisbury area. Um, we've got a couple of sites there and it's great to just kind of be in those little pockets. Cause especially during these storm events, you know, national wilderness will look at that data, um, because it does fill in these huge gaps that unfortunately they, they just don't have the, the capacity to put in stations there. Yeah, I was actually just thinking, uh, you know, that hurricane season, it's interesting at the coast, but this time of year, I bet it's uh, really fascinating in the mountains uh, to, when you have those northwest flow uh, 
uh, situations yeah. to see how high the wind gets there, and yeah. and uh, also in the wedge situations to to see where the where the inversion layer is or in level, I should say. Yeah, that's. Uh, I will say we have a few sites. So Mount Mitchell, of course, but we also have one in the valley just north of there in Burnsville, and you can definitely find the inversion. Like there, there are days where. You'll go there. I mean, you'll pull up the map in the morning and you'll see a dot that says 18 degrees. You'll see a dot that says 40 degrees and you got them completely backwards because the relative humidity up at Mitchell is like 6%. So uh, you're right in the middle of the inversion. It's it, it drives our quality control algorithm is nuts, but it's something that we know about. So it's very easy for us to go in and fix. Um, but yeah, those, those kind of situations, um, you know, I like watching them. Like we don't measure snowfall. That's like the one thing we don't measure. So I can't tell you how much is going to snow at our stations, but at the same time, it's interesting to watch. Like you can see the flow coming in. You can see like temperatures will drop quick. Windshields will just pick up in a hurry. And it's, uh, it, it's great to see that. Cause you don't, that's the one benefit I think with our network is that the fact it's coming in every five minutes, you get that updates pretty frequently. Um, so you, you can, good thing is you can see the values really quickly for, uh, for us who work on the network itself. We can also see when stuff goes wrong right away. So uh, it's easy for us to like, okay, that's a problem. We know we need to go fix it. And we're not waiting two days to like parse the data afterwards and then go, Oh yeah, we, the wind sensor blew off or something and we just didn't never saw it. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes it like this time of year, it's a different part of the state you're looking at, but it's still exciting stuff to see. Are your, uh, the data from your sites, are they available any other place other than uh, your website uh, and then the climate office's website? Are they available like in, uh, uh, Meso West or, or other places like so, that? So uh, we're part of the National Mesonet Program. So our data goes to MATIS automatically. Um, right. right now, it is, unfortunately, right now in MATIS, it is uh, restricted to like research purposes only. We have sent in a request to get that updated to make it open access. Um, a few years ago, we moved to have all of our data be open. Um, in the past, it was just like you get like a recent like week or two, and that was it. Um, because we had to maintain kind of, we didn't want people like downloading the entire database on, on us. So, um, but I know I, I want to say this month is when it goes to the point where it'll be available on Matus for anybody. So like National Wildstars can grab it now as it is, but like if, you know, uh, local TV stations want to pull the data, I think that's a way they can do it. Um, I'm not too familiar with that, but um, if it becomes open, they can do that. And we've had some discussions with some of the TV stations in the Western part of our state uh, just because the stations are pulling for certain cities we're like, that's nowhere near the city center. So we have a station like a mile from city center. I'll just use that. And they're like, we can't get to it. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, right now it's just on our data. As far as I know, it's only on our data site or our website, uh, in the climate office website. But again, all that's free. It's a free account too. So, um, you just log in, you create yourself an account. It's absolutely free. You can download, there's so much data. It's not just from Econet, but you can also grab ASOS data, AWOS data. If you want to grab Kogaraz data, you're more than welcome to do so. Um, things like that, it's all open access. So Sean, you guys have over 40 weather stations and I'm sure just like everything else, <laughs> occasionally one will go down or need maintenance. I mean, and you're traveling a, a huge, I mean, North Carolina is a huge state. So mm -hmm. um, how, how do you keep all these things functioning <laughs> all the time? <laughs> On a wing and a prayer. No. Uh, <laughs> so, so this is something that we worked on. It, it used to be on a wing and a prayer. When I first started working here, it was back in 2008. It was literally just a, like 
something breaks, you'll fix it. But we've really worked now to do routine visits. So our goal is to visit each station three times a year for routine work. Um, and that's mainly like cleaning the, cleaning the sensors, clearing vegetation around some of our stations. Uh, most of the sensors have routine calibration timestamps, like around two years, you need to like get calibrated. So we, we budget that stuff already out. Um, and so we, we basically have a spreadsheet that has, okay, on this week, we're going to go to these stations. We group stations together. Um, usually like three or four stations we can group together. Um, unless it's in the mountains, then we schedule a nice, you know, two day trip out there and, and just get as much done as we can. Um, but yeah, for the most part, like most of that stuff is routine. So it keeps the emergency runs down for the most part. Um, and I was actually just doing some numbers for, we have a review, a five-year review coming up at our office and I had to put some numbers together. And yeah, we, we travel about 25,000 miles a year. Wow. Just doing field work. Um, it's, it comes out to about 80, 85 trips. Um, I think on average we're, we're visiting total number of station visits, like 150. So, you know, if you're 40 times three, then you got emergency work that happens every now and then, um, comes out to about 150. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot of travel. Um, it, the team is myself and two technicians. So we do kind of split the workload a little bit, but yeah, I mean, there, there are days where, yeah, I know last week we were up at, we were up just out just north of Hendersonville doing, uh, having to replace a wind sensor that just started acting funny and we picked the absolute worst day to go, but, um, you know, nothing like 15 degree wind chill trying to lower a tower and 30 mile an hour wind. But, um, but it also had less notice since it wasn't working properly. So, uh, just kind of scheduling that stuff out. And my job as the manager is to not only make sure that we're doing that, but also making sure that they're not getting burned out or, working, you know, doing too much travel because I did do that for a while and that's not fun. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of travel. I know you go out and you have technicians that go out Mm -hmm. any, uh, strange encounters with wildlife or anything crazy. That's that you've experienced uh, going to, to do maintenance on these stations. Oh man. Oh, how much time do you have? Uh, I would say, um, so wildlife is not uncommon. Uh, a lot of our sites are on North Carolina agricultural research stations. And so they're in the middle of a field. And so usually you'll, you'll have cows or goats or, or sheep kind of, they won't get in the enclosure with the station, but they want to know what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. You're on their land. So, uh, so that's one. I One of our stations had cables chewed because of deer that I know of. I know one's had cables chewed because of turkeys. Because uh, that was interesting finding that one. Um <laughs> We have, we've been fortunate enough not to have any issues with bears uh, in either the western part or even the eastern part of North Carolina. Like the Tidewater region has a black bear like concentration there. So, um, you know, in terms of just regular, I mean, like you get your usual, like, you know, spiders, ants, you know, we do what we can to kind of keep things protected, but you're going to run into that stuff and uh, trying to trying to find solutions to that is can be difficult at times especially when (laughs) the problem is people are just cutting your stuff so it's um but for like i guess i'm trying to think if there's anything crazy wildlife wise the goats might have been the the one that was the craziest because they just wouldn't let us leave so (laughs) just having to have one of our other guys kind of shepherd them around i made sure to take video just to embarrass them in front of the office but um one side project we worked on we did have to deal with alligators that was like the only thing that was 
that was terrifying more than anything else because you couldn't see them. You could hear them, but you couldn't see them. So, um, yeah, that was terrifying. But other than that, it's normal, normal farm, wildlife farm, you know, animals and the occasional uh, random critter going around. North Carolina has a big agriculture you know, industry, you know, there's a lot of farming and, and stuff that takes place. And I know you said that originally it was kind of where the EcoNet was, was more of like an agnet. Uh, can you explain to folks maybe who don't kind of like match weather and climatology up with farming? Like, why is that important to have, have these? It's important because, you know, when you're trying to grow crops, like a couple of, so what kind of makes our network a little bit different than other networks is some of the parameters we measure, sensors we have measure things that you wouldn't associate with weather. Like we measure soil moisture, we measure soil temperature, like that, like intuitively doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But when you think about irrigation principles, when you think about drought, um, when you think about, okay, how, how healthy are our crops based on that? You know, you want to have that information. Um, another thing is to disease, crop disease is a big issue or even, so crop disease is a big issue. So you need to know, okay, how often are, how often have our leaves been wet? Like, has it been very humid lately? Do I need to spray? Um, do I need to spray inspect insecticide because there, there are certain critters that will become more active in humid environments. And so having that data kind of right there is extremely important. Um, I know most people just think when they think ag, they just, you know, okay, if it's sunny, if it's rainy, that kind of thing. But we're looking at total radiation coming in, photosynthetically active radiation. How much of the radiation coming in is actually helping your plants grow? Um, you know, that, that's a that's a huge decision because you need to figure out, okay, if it's growing enough, if it's not growing enough. What do I need to do with that? Chill hours is another thing. We look at berries, like berries have to be, you have to have so many hours below a certain threshold. Uh, otherwise the bud won't break properly. Um, I know that's, that's important for any fruit really, but I know we have products for like blueberries, blackberries. I think raspberries too. I didn't work on those products. I just know we have them. <laughs> I know apples is another one that we're trying to get into, especially in the Western part of the state. Um, so, I mean, that, those are the kind of things that are, I think, extremely important. Like, and also when you're talking about spraying stuff, you know, you want to make sure that you have certain wind conditions. You can't spray when it's really windy. You can't spray when it's not windy enough. Like it's has to be a Goldilocks zone for them to spray. Um, so having that data there and having it available, I think is how it started that way. And we've kind of morphed it over time to more than just agriculture. Um, but we still, that's still kind of our, the core of what we do. And so we try to, you know, base a lot of our stuff off of that. Is there anything else you guys are working on or anything else you want to highlight before we kind of wrap up things here? Uh, so we're always, we're always working on stuff. Um, you know, whether it's a new product or trying to test it, like we're always testing out new sensors. Like that's kind of our thing really. Um, but we're trying to do a lot more on social media. Like I know our, our social media handle at NCSCO, make sure that's right. Yeah. At NCSCO, that's our Twitter handle. Um, that's everything for the climate office. But most of the time when we're in the field, we'll post something like, Hey, we're out at, you know, we're in Goldsboro today doing routine maintenance. And so people can at least see like us in the field doing work. Um, we're going to try to do another, uh, video probably here, try to do a little more video stuff this year. So keep an eye on that mainly like a tower tour. like here's what our power actually looks like. And, um, we did one of like three years ago and it's already outdated since we put new sensors on there in the last three years. So we're gonna redo that. And, um, yeah, I mean, if, if people have, you know, people are interested in, in the data or want to know more about it and they're more than happy to reach out. And 
I'm happy to answer any questions or, you know, if you guys have a good idea for where to put a station, by all means, like I'm was finding contacts for kind of where we want to put a station in, in North, in North Carolina. Uh, you know, Kathy would not uh, probably like me to say, yeah, anywhere in the Carolinas. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it, it, but in North Carolina, if we get something closer in the border of South Carolina, it'd be great too. Um, but uh, that, that's kind of what we're, like, we have ideas of where we want to put stations, but we don't have good contacts for like, Hey, it's a good spot. So um, always kind of reaching out. would be great. Well, Sean, we appreciate your time tonight. And uh, it, I know you just gave out the, uh, the Twitter handle there just a second ago uh, before you leave. I know uh, I mentioned earlier, you were the co-coordinator of Kokoros and we do have March madness coming up. So I folks do. are, if folks are interested, we've talked about Coke Ross before here on the program, but if folks are interested uh, in joining, how can they do that? And I believe the National Weather Service in Wilmington put out a tweet a few weeks ago, kind of highlighting some areas in their market that there's very little to none uh, observers there. So what yeah. are some areas that we need people at in North Carolina and how can folks be signed, get signed up for that? So, yeah, I am David Glenn, who's at NWS Wilmington is the other co-coordinator uh, of Kokoraz and he does a much better job of this than I do. So <laughs> um, I would say anywhere in the state, really, um, you know, if you're interested in, uh, in weather, if you're interested in just keeping track of rainfall, I know we get a lot of complaints. I wouldn't say complaints, concerns about people saying that, Oh, your gauge says this, but you know, where I live, it didn't rain that much where I live. Well, we'd love to get that data. Um, a lot of times we do use Kokoraz data to kind of help validate some of our stuff as well. So, um, so yeah, you can do that. You can go to kokoraz.org. I believe it's the right website for that. You can sign up. Uh, if you live in North Carolina, please do that between March 1st and 31st for Kokoraz <laughs> March Madness. If you live in South Carolina, you can do it in February. That'd be perfectly fine. Um, I know Melissa no. will love it. Melissa will love to hear that. So <laughs> we have call Melissa, Melissa on March 1st if you'd like to be a Kokoraz observer <laughs> yeah. in South Carolina. You guys, South Carolina's won it a couple of times. And North Carolina won it a couple of times. So we can maybe maybe get the championship back to the Carolinas. I know in the March Madness, like Minnesota's won it the last couple of years. Yeah, I think it was so, Minnesota, right? Yeah, I was like... No, we can't do that. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's bring it back to the Carolinas. Um, yeah, kokoraz.org. If you have any questions, you can always email uh, either. I think we have a kokoraz email. Again, I think we do. So uh, feel free to email our, our help. And I know the guy who monitored our email will just forward it my way. I'm happy to assist in any of that. We, we love these measurements, especially if you're a school teacher or, or things like that. It's a great way to get schools involved in measurements, learning how to kind of see how the weather works. And really help out your community. Yeah, it's it's a very cost-efficient citizen science project that you can do with your kids at home or yep. school, like you said, a great way. And I'll be, you know, in, in broadcasting, I use Kokoros data a lot to highlight those smaller towns that our computer programs does, don't highlight, yeah. you know, like, like Laurenburg, North Carolina, but we can go in there and look at Kokoros reports and, and kind of get that data to make sure that the, not only are the bigger cities featured, but also the smaller cities. And yeah. And it's great information during tropical storms. Like mm -hmm. I know the, a lot of these big hurricanes that come through, like our, our stations are so spread out that these pockets of heavy precipitation usually don't get recorded, but these Kokoros sensors, Kokoros gauges always seem to be in those pockets perfectly placed. So thank you observers for doing that. Um, and also outside of our stations go down, we can still have this kind of information sitting around. So, um, so yeah, if you're, if you're interested, please, please sign up. 
Again, if you're North Carolina after March 1st, please. So we can <laughs> March Madness this year. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, Sean, we appreciate your time. And uh, thank you for listening to us. I know you said that at the beginning program. So mm-hmm. we appreciate you listening to the program. And uh, hopefully maybe we can have you back on towards the end of the year and kind of get a progress update on how things are going across the uh, the network. Love it. I would love it. Thanks for having me on tonight, guys. Yeah, no problem. And you all have a great evening. Thank you for watching the Carolina Weather Group. We'll see you back here real soon.